In the last month or so, I've had a couple of service people into my house to quote on various jobs or do various jobs. And I want to tell you about two of them. The first one was a guy who came to give me a quote on having my air ducts and my furnace cleaned. And he came into my home, we went down to the furnace, and it was a a really good experience with this guy because he took something that I knew nothing about and he explained it really thoroughly. So we started at the furnace, he said, I'm going to cut a hole in your ducting right here, I'm going to hook up my vacuum, we're going to create negative pressure throughout the system, and I'm going to go to the furthest vent in your house from the furnace, and I'm going to put compressed air down down into the vent through the ductwork and vacuum it out the other side. And I'm going to cut little holes here and here in your, your exposed ductwork in the basement. And, and by the time he was done, he had taken something that was completely inaccessible to me. I knew nothing about it before he started. And he made it understandable so that I knew exactly what was going to happen and why it was being done. He left me a quote and he left. And when he left, I felt like I really wanted to give this guy's company my business because this guy had done such a good job of explaining everything that he was going to do. I would recommend him to you because of how well he took me through the process. Now contrast that with a phone call I had with a plumber just a couple of weeks ago. My hot water tank was indicating some sort of fault and so I called him and right from the time he picked up the phone, I felt like I was a bother to him. I felt like I was inconveniencing him, like I was a nuisance. Uh, He seemed distracted. In fact, in part of the phone call, he told me to wait while he finished something else up. And when he came back on the phone, the first thing he said was 604. And I didn't know why he was starting with a phone number. I thought he must want my phone number so that he, I, he could call me back when it was more convenient. And so I started to give him my phone number. He said, no, no, no. And he read me a phone number. And then when I asked him what the phone number was for or who I would be calling, he was already gone. He'd already hung up. He didn't show any interest in having my business or taking my problem very seriously. He was just trying to pass me off. So when I called the other phone number, sure enough, it was a different plumbing company altogether uh, that I was able to talk with and had a friendly interaction with that company. Now, which interaction would you rather have? Obviously, the first one, right? When, When you're having an interaction with someone, especially about a topic that you're not familiar with, you want somebody who's going to invite you in and explain it really well. Today we're starting a three-week journey through our church vision, what it is that we are about. Our, our mission statement, first of all, as a church, is helping people find and follow Jesus. That's the bottom line uh, thing that we want to be doing as a church, that we ought to be doing. If we're not doing that, then we've lost focus and we've simply become a social club. And I have no interest in being simply a social club. Certainly there are social and community aspects to what we do. But our purpose is much higher than that. We help people find and follow Jesus. And then we've described our vision. A vision is a picture of our preferred future like this. We want to be a welcoming, Christ-centered community that glorifies God by impacting individuals and families near and far. We want to be a welcoming, Christ-centered community that glorifies God by impacting individuals and families near and far. Now, a vision like that is both descriptive of who we are and also aspirational. It's what we want to become, which is why when we talk about welcoming, like we will do today, we hear some comments from people saying, wow, this church was so welcoming when I came and so friendly and I felt engaged and involved right away. And other people sometimes will say to me, that wasn't really my experience. So we are that, but we want to become that more. We have more work to do on all aspects of our vision as we work through it. 
In the next three Sundays, today and two more, we're going to look at our three main values which emerge out of our vision statement. Those values are to be welcoming, to be Christ-centered, and to be community. And so we're going to explore what those things look like. Now, every year, and, and we start every year with a, a look at our vision. Uh, that's, that's our plan moving forward and has been our pattern. Because we want to remind ourselves of who we are. When we forget who we are, we start to make decisions based on other priorities, or we start to lose our direction uh, as a group of people, as a church. So uh, as we've talked about this in the past, normally we've talked about it in the context of our gathering here in the building. And of course, for nine months, nine and a half months now, we, we haven't met together in the building. Now, Lord willing, sometime this year, we will be back together, all, all together in the building, uh, and we'll live out our vision in that way. But our vision applies to each person, each of you watching today as a part of our church. We, we live this out together wherever we go. Because as I've told you before, the church of Jesus Christ is never closed. So even if we're not physically gathering together, we are still the church. Ross Road Community Church is at work in our communities uh, through you, through you as individuals, through us together. So today we turn our attention to our first value, which is welcoming. So why welcoming? A few reasons. Uh, First, we want every person who has contact with us to feel like I felt after I talked to the duct cleaning guy and not like I felt after I talked to the plumber on the phone. We want every person to experience us as warm and friendly and caring and inviting them into what it is that we're about, into the Christian faith, into the discipleship journey. Thinking a a little bit uh, theologically here, and we'll see this in Romans 15 in a few minutes, we, we choose welcome as one of our values because we welcome because Christ welcomed us. We welcome because Christ welcomed us. And we've said that we do this by creating an inviting culture, by offering practical help and extending genuine friendships. Now, why welcome? Let's think about our, our culture for just a moment. We, we need to recognize that our culture, our society, is moving away from God. Uh, In 2016, 41% of people in British Columbia claimed that they had no religious identity. Now, you add to that 41% people who claim other religious identities other than Christian, and then you add to that people who claim that they are Christian but really have no practice uh, of Christianity. And so people who are, are pursuing Christianity are actually a small percentage of people in the province that we live. And there are cultural forces that are at work among us. James Emery White, in his book, Meet Generation Z, writes about three of them. He talks about, first, secularization. Secularization is the process by which that which is secular and that which is spiritual become more and more divided, more and more separated. There's a divide between what is holy, what is spiritual, and that which is secular, which leads to the second cultural force, which is privatization. This means that there's this divide, and if you choose to hold religious beliefs, that's up to you, but don't bring them into the public arena. Don't try to impose them on anyone else, right? We we see this all the time, right? If if you have a a, a view on the sanctity of life, for instance, so views on either abortion at the beginning of a child's life or medical assistance in dying in Canada at the end of a person's life, that's great for you to make a decision for yourself, but our society will say, don't bring that view into the public arena. That, that, that's a, a sure way to be labeled as intolerant of other people's views. So there's a, a divide happening between the secular and the spiritual. 
And then the spiritual is relegated to the private realm. And then the third cultural force, which he outlines, is pluralization. There's an increasing uh, number of things that you could believe in. And all of them are seen as mostly equivalent. So you can believe what you want to believe, and I can believe what I want to believe. Both of those can be seen as equally true. Of course, there's logical problems with, with these cultural forces, but they're at play in our world today. We see them. Now, we all experience this, and we have to recognize that people who are exploring Christianity are also experiencing them. And so we're working against these forces. Now, some Christians, when they see these forces at work in our society, respond with fear. And when they respond with fear, often they get loud, sometimes they get belligerent, and they complain about how the Christian foundation of our nation is being stripped away. Now, they, these, these folks rightly fear biblical compromise, okay? They, they want to, to hold to biblical truth, which is something to be applauded. But they expect biblical values to be held by secular society, which isn't something that's ultimately sustainable. Now, don't hear me wrong. There is absolutely a place and a time to speak up for what is right and to stand for truth in the public arena. But I think we need to, re- to remember that expressing holiness by rejecting people, will not reach anyone. Expressing holiness by rejecting people will not reach anyone. It only entertains us and distracts us from our own sin. That's a quote from Bill Henson. So as we engage culture, we we don't expect non-Christians to hold to Christian values. But we have to be careful not to respond with fear when we see Christianity as a diminishing force in society. We want to respond with love. We want to respond with curiosity. We want to welcome people so that we can learn from them, so that we can hear their stories rather than condemning people who don't believe the same that we do. We want to be driven by mission in everything that we do. We want to see people come to faith in Jesus. And in order to do that, people need to be able to have a conversation with us. We need to be able to have a conversation with people who might believe very differently than we do. But often when Christians are fearful and belligerent, we shut down any bridge that we might have towards communication. Uh, a cousin of mine, Joel Thiessen, is a sociologist at, at, um, and sociology professor at Ambrose University in Calgary. He wrote a book called None of the Above with Sarah Wilkins Laflamme. And in it, he talks about how people who, want, who convert to Christianity want to belong before it is that they will believe. He writes this, In fact, most people, and when he says most, he's talking about people who have converted to Christianity from no religious background. Most followed the path of first belonging to a religious group because of trusted social ties, then gradually behaving in the expected ways of the religious group, followed by progressive belief in the teachings of that religious group. Did you catch the order there? They wanted to belong, and they only came to belong because they had a relationship with someone in the religious group. Once they got into the the religious group, so to speak, they were more willing to consider the beliefs of that religious group and the behaviors of that religious group. But belief wasn't a a requirement at the door for them to enter. A relationship was the key. And once they had that relationship, they were able to explore in a safe way. They were welcomed. They were accepted for who they were, not for what they believed. So let's look at this in Romans 15 and see what Paul writes 
uh, about this idea. And see how the example of Jesus actually informs our desire to be welcoming. We'll read the first 13 verses of Romans 15. We who, are we, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement... They, they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 7, this is the key verse here. Accept one another. That word accept could also be translated from the Greek to be welcome one another. Accept or welcome one another just as Christ accepted or welcomed you in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. Again, it says, Rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, what's Paul saying in these verses? Well, he's writing to a church that's experiencing some division. There, there's an insider group and there's an outsider group. And there's some conflict between the groups. The insiders were the Jews. These are descendants of the nation of Israel from the Old Testament. Now, uh, Paul references the patriarchs here. He's talking about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God spoke to Abraham in the Old Testament and said, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And I'm, I'm doing this so that I will bless you and bless this nation so that this nation will be a blessing to the world. That was the purpose of the Old Testament nation of Israel, to receive God's blessing, to bless the world. Now, they failed miserably at this most of the time. And so God sent Jesus as the ultimate fulfillment of the nation of Israel to be a blessing to the world, to, to spread God's love to everyone, no matter what their nationality would be. God did this by coming to the earth as a baby, dying on the cross as an adult, taking the sin of the world upon himself and paying the penalty for it so that you and I could have right relationship with God, so that the separation that exists between us and God could be taken care of. This is why Christ came to die. And he rose again, demonstrating his power over death and enabling us to believe in him and to have eternal life with him. This, this is why Christ came. And, and in doing so, Christ preached this inclusion of all people. So when you read the word Gentiles, it's really referring to everyone who's not a Jew is now welcome into God's family. And you see Paul quoting Old Testament passages which prophesied this, predicted this, that the Gentiles would be included in the family of God. And Jesus came to accomplish just that. So now you have these conflicts going on in this church of Jews and Gentiles on disputable matters. So a couple examples Paul gives in chapter 14. One is food sacrifice to idols. So other religions required animal sacrifices. So the people would sacrifice the animals and the meat would go to the, the market to be sold. And some of these Christians were saying, I can't eat that because that meat 
that, that animal was sacrificed to a foreign god. The, the meat, therefore, is defiled, and I can't eat it. It's a matter of conscience. I won't eat it. And other believers were saying, it's just meat. It doesn't really matter what happened to the animal as it died. It's, it's, it's just meat, so let's dig in. It looks good. And they were having this religious controversy over this in the church. Another one was the day of the week that they ought to worship on. The Jews had practiced Sabbath for millennia. And Sabbath was always on Saturday. But when Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday, these Christians were proclaiming Sunday to be the Lord's day and say, this is the day in which we ought to gather for corporate worship. So there's this debate going on. Which day is better than the other? It was disputable matters. We have disputable matters today. Uh, one live one, I think, might be decision of some churches to continue meeting right now and other churches like ours to be solely online. Both sides have scripture verses that could support their position. They're both acting on conviction. And you might have an opinion one way or the other. But Paul's uh, words to us and to this church, I think, would be, don't let this divide you. Accept one another. Welcome one another. And the reason why is because Christ welcomed you. And if Christ welcomed you, then surely you can welcome your brother or sister who thinks differently than you. Surely you can find it within yourself to understand the grace of God to a depth that allows you to extend grace to others. Even though you hold different opinions and you hold them quite strongly on different matters. In 2017, there was a teenager in Oregon who was playing with fireworks in the summertime, and he set off a forest fire. This forest fire uh, raged for thousands of hectares of forest, caused the evacuation of thousands of people, and burned down four or five homes. He was found to be guilty of this in a court, and a judge said that he was on the hook for $36 million worth of damages. Can you imagine, as a late teenager, being told that you are in debt $36 million? I mean, some of you maybe as adults have $36 million that you could throw at a fine like that. Um, most of us don't. It's, it's an insurmountable amount of money for a teenager to think about. Incomprehensible. Friends, th this kind of incomprehensible amount is the amount uh, of our separation between us and God because of our sin. Our sin is, is an offense so great that it's not even worth considering how we might pay it because we can't. There's no amount of good deeds or good works or money that we could throw at this problem to solve it. And yet, God, in his mercy sent Jesus to take care of that debt for us. It would be as if someone in that courtroom with that teenage boy stepped forward and said, I will pay the full amount of that right now so that this young guy doesn't have to have this hanging over his head anymore. Jesus stepped in our place, took our sins upon himself and paid the penalty that we could never have paid. He welcomed us. He accepted us even when we were his enemies so that we could be in the family of God. This is the theological basis upon which our value of welcoming rests. Jesus welcomed us, and so we ought to be welcoming to others. Now, Paul also says that there's another purpose here. 
uh, we are to accept one another just as Christ accepted us in order to bring praise to God, in order that God might receive glory, which is another theme in our vision. We want to be a welcoming Christ-centered community in order to glorify God, that he would get all of the honor and all of the praise, that people would come to saving faith in him. Our vision affirms this. So Jesus came, as Paul demonstrates here through the last six verses, Jesus came to, to reach the Jews, the, the Israelite nation, to serve them, to honor the, the promise that was made to them, but then also to include the Gentiles in the family of God, those who are far from God to bring them near. This was his dual purpose. You know, Jesus gives the disciples the same kind of dual purpose in Mark 3. We studied this back in September. Remember, we said Jesus called the disciples to himself so that they would be with him, so that he could bless them, he could pour out into them, but then so that he could send them, so that others could experience this grace of God. A dual purpose. People, the insiders and the outsiders. Jesus came for them all. Jesus came to make the outsiders insiders in God's family. And so Bill Henson says this, if our church truly possesses the power of God, then we should want all kinds of people to come into our church. We cannot nourish faith identity in people who are not accepted in our midst. If the church really possesses the power of God, which we do, then we should want all kinds of people to come into our church. We take on the posture of a missionary to reach people, even within our own Canadian culture. We take on the posture of a missionary in order to reach everyone. So let's talk specifically for for just a couple of minutes. First of all, we want to think about this in our services. And we've talked about that before. We, We want to be like that air duct cleaning guy and assume that people don't have the same background that we do. I mean, some of you have decades of Bible study in your back pocket. Other peoples are, are walking into our church or watching our online service who have never even opened the, the cover of a Bible. They don't know anything about it. So we want to be able to make it accessible to them. We want to certainly equip and, and train our own people to understand the Word of God and apply it, but we also want to present it in a way in which people can access it. That's true from what we say from the pulpit, and it's true for you as you interact with your neighbors and friends who don't know Jesus. It's your call to make it accessible to them so that they can understand what it is that we're talking about. We assume that people are intelligent, but we don't assume that people have the same background that we do. Now, our online services make welcoming uh, an even greater focus for us. I mean, we've talked about it here in the building. We've said if we're gathered here together, make sure that you're on the lookout for people you don't recognize. Introduce yourself to people you don't know. We want to make people feel like they they belong here. It's, it's, it can be intimidating, though, to invite people to church. And it can be even more intimidating to step into a church when you aren't a believer, when you've never explored the claims of Christianity. The online service offers an opportunity that's less threatening for people. You can pass on a link and say, hey, why don't you watch this from the comfort of your own couch? And then we can talk about it afterwards. Provides a, a less intimidating way for people to access the church and access the Christian faith. So we need to leverage that. And that's why one of the, the, the main uh, things that will lie ahead of us in 2021 and one of the, the decisions that we need to make and one of the ways in which you can pray for us as we proceed is 
is how do we continue with an online presence even when we can meet all together again? What's that going to look like for us? Because there's a, a missiological opportunity there, an opportunity for us to be on mission, to reach people through the medium of the online services. We've had people from around the world watch our services. And so there's a real opportunity there to express welcome through technology. Uh, one final uh, group that I'd like to address here. Uh, Pastor Holly and I, back in November, uh, attended an online conference put on by our denomination, which was fascinating. The, the subtitle of this conference was A Missiological Model for, for LGBT Plus Inclusion and Care. It was a fascinating experience. One of the things that we spent some time mourning over was the amount of pain and hurt that the church has caused to the LGBTQ community. For too long, the church has uh, been a place where LGBT people, LGBTQ people, have not felt like they could belong. They felt judged before they even walked in the door. Some of the language that we've used has been decidedly unhelpful. And this is a people group that has been marginalized in the church. And so I want to say that it's very likely that there are people watching right now who identify as LGBTQ or who have an, an inner wrestling with this, trying to figure out who they are, or maybe have decided who they are or understood who they are, but not verbalized it to anyone yet. And if that's you, I just want to say I'm so glad that you're here. I'm so glad that, that we have the honor of being in community with you in this way. And it's my hope and my desire that Ross Road Community Church would be a safe place for you. And I would be honored if you would share your story with me to hear what it's been like for you and to understand how we as a church have either helped or hindered you on your journey. It's, it's my desire that all of us would have that, that same kind of curiosity about your story that you wouldn't feel judged. In, in fact, you'd feel honored as a person created in God's image among us here at Ross Road. Now, to our church, inclusion and care does not mean changing theology. Okay, we have a defined theology on, our, on sexuality, human sexuality. And we don't intend on changing that because we believe that it's biblically based. But remember, a gospel of exclusion holds no power for people who are already banished. In other words, if we've decided already that people who identify as LGBTQ don't belong here, we can't reach them. Expressing holiness by rejecting people doesn't reach anyone. And so we can hold to our theology and still be genuinely curious about people's journey of faith and of life. And that doesn't just hold true for the LGBTQ community. It holds true for people who hold to different religions or different lifestyles or di different ways of, of approaching life and thinking about morality and ethics and, and all of that. The, these conversations should be ones that we want to engage, not ones that we shut down before they start by having neat and tidy little boxes of who belongs and who doesn't. I would love to be a church. I want to be a church 
where these kinds of conversations are happening. And sometimes it might be uncomfortable and it might be awkward and there might be tension, but I would so much rather be a part of a church that embraces those kinds of conversations rather than pretending like they don't exist. We welcome all people, not just those who are like us. And we do that here in the church, and you do that as the church in your neighborhood, in your community, in your workplace. You engage people with curiosity, always pointing them to Jesus, always demonstrating the way of Christ. But with curiosity and with a desire to learn from people who are different than us. Nineteen forty-three in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, a scout for the NHL's New York Rangers discovered a fifteen-year-old who had some skill and offered him a contract to play for the New York Rangers. The teenager signed this contract and went to New York. Now this kid was pretty timid and, and shy. And the Rangers, his teammates, his new teammates, were actually not very kind to him. Uh, In fact, they mocked him for not knowing how to put on his own equipment. Uh, He'd never had a full set of equipment, which is why he didn't know how to do it. They mocked him for that. They stole his food at mealtime, so he went hungry. So not only is he adapting from the culture shift of Saskatoon to New York, but he's treated very poorly. And as often happens, when you're treated poorly, you try to escape if you can. And it wasn't long before he left and went back home to Saskatoon. No one really noticed. No one tried to stop him. It wasn't until later that winter that the Detroit Red Wings got a hold of this kid and signed him to a contract. He accepted that contract and went to New York, and had, or to Detroit rather, and had a very different experience. He was welcomed by his teammates. His coach took notice of his skill. And over the next 25 seasons, Gordie Howe scored 801 goals for the Detroit Red Wings. That's second all-time in NHL history. He amassed the fourth greatest amount of points all time. That still stands today in NHL history. What could have been for the New York Rangers if only they had been welcoming to this kid? And what was for the Detroit Red Wings because of how they embraced Gordie Howe? Listen, church, God is inviting us to welcome people who matter infinitely more to him than Gordie Howe mattered to the Detroit Red Wings. He's inviting us to welcome them with his love. How far will we go? How hard will we work to help people experience the love of Christ? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, I first of all thank you that you saw me, a sinner estranged from you, someone with no hope, of reaching you, of, of overcoming my sin problem, and you, you took the initiative. You came and died in my place so that I could have fellowship with God, so that I could be accepted and welcomed into God's family. Jesus, I pray that we as Ross Road Community Church would take on that same posture that you took on when you rescued us. That we would welcome others because you have welcomed us. That we would accept people. That we would be curious. That we would hold out the truth of the gospel 
in a way that is so compelling that people would be drawn to it. Make us a welcoming church, Lord. Make us welcoming people. And may many find and follow you because of how you use us in our world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.